0: Silas Marner by George Eliot, Part I, Chapter Thirteen. It was after the early supper time at the Red House, and the entertainment was in that stage when bashfulness itself had passed into easy jollity, when gentlemen, conscious of unusual accomplishments, could at length be prevailed on to dance a hornpipe, and when the squire preferred talking loudly, scattering snuff, and patting his visitors' backs to sitting longer at the whist table a choice exasperating to Uncle Kimball, who, being always volatile in sober business hours, became intense and bitter over cards and brandy, shuffled before his adversary's deal with a glare of suspicion, and turned up a mean trump card with an air of inexpressible disgust, as if in a world where such things could happen one might as well enter on a course of reckless profligacy. When the evening had advanced to this pitch of freedom and enjoyment— It was usual for the servants, the heavy duties of supper being well over, to get their share of amusement by coming to look on at the dancing, so that the back regions of the house were left in solitude. There were two doors by which the white parlor was entered from the hall, and they were both standing open for the sake of air, but the lower one was crowded with the servants and villagers, and only the upper doorway was left free. Bob Cass was figuring in a hornpipe, and his father, very proud of this lithe son, whom he repeatedly declared to be just like himself in his young days, in a tone that implied this to be the very highest stamp of juvenile merit, was the center of a group who had placed themselves opposite the performer, not far from the upper door. Godfrey was standing a little way off, not to admire his brother's dancing, but to keep sight of Nancy, who was seated in the group near her father. He stood aloof, because he wished to avoid suggesting himself as a subject for the squire's fatherly jokes in connection with matrimony and Miss Nancy Lammeter's beauty, which were likely to become more and more explicit. But he had the prospect of dancing with her again when the hornpipe was concluded, and in the meanwhile it was very pleasant to get long glances at her, quite unobserved. But when Godfrey was lifting his eyes from one of those long glances— They encountered an object as startling to him at that moment as if it had been an apparition from the dead. It was an apparition from that hidden life which lies, like a dark by-street, behind the goodly ornamented façade that meets the sunlight and the gaze of respectable admirers. It was his own child, carried in Silas Marner's arms. That was his instantaneous impression, unaccompanied by doubt though he had not seen the child for months past. And when the hope was rising that he might possibly be mistaken, Mr. Crackenthorpe and Mr. Lammeter had already advanced to Silas in astonishment at this strange advent. Godfrey joined them immediately, unable to rest without hearing every word, trying to control himself, but conscious that if anyone noticed him, they must see that he was white-lipped and trembling." but now all eyes at that end of the room were bent on silas marner the squire himself had risen and asked angrily how's this what's this what do you do coming in here in this way i'm come for the doctor i want the doctor silas had said in the first moment to mr crackenthorpe why what's the matter marner said the rector the doctor's here but say quietly what you want him for it's a woman said silas speaking low and half-breathlessly, just as Godfrey came up. "'She's dead, I think. Dead in the snow at the stone pits, not far from my door.' Godfrey felt a great throb. There was one terror in his mind at that moment. It was that the woman might not be dead. That was an evil terror, an ugly inmate to have found a nestling place in Godfrey's kindly disposition— but no disposition is a security from evil wishes to a man whose happiness hangs on duplicity. "'Hush, hush,' said Mr. Crackenthorpe. "'Go out into the hall there. I'll fetch the doctor to you. Found a woman in the snow, and think she's dead,' he added, speaking low to the squire. "'Better say as little about it as possible. It will shock the ladies. Just tell them a poor woman is ill from cold and hunger.' "'I'll go and fetch Kimball.' By this time, however, the ladies had pressed forward, curious to know what could have brought the solitary linen-weaver there under such strange circumstances, and interested in the pretty child, who, half alarmed and half attracted by the brightness and the numerous company, now frowned and hid her face, now lifted up her head again and looked round placably, until a touch or a coaxing word brought back the frown, "'and made her bury her face with new determination. "'What child is it?' said several ladies at once, "'and among the rest, Nancy Lammeter, addressing Godfrey. "'I don't know. "'Some poor woman's who's been found in the snow, I believe,' "'was the answer Godfrey wrung from himself with a terrible effort. "'After all, am I certain?' he hastened to add silently, "'in anticipation of his own conscience.' "'Why, you'd better leave the child here, then, Master Marner,' said good-natured Mrs. Kimball, hesitating, however, to take those dingy clothes into contact with her own ornamented satin bodice. "'I'll tell one of the girls to fetch it.' "'No. No, no, I can't part with it. I can't let it go,' said Silas abruptly. "'It's come to me. I've a right to keep it.' The proposition to take the child from him had come to Silas quite unexpectedly, and his speech uttered under a strong sudden impulse, was almost like a revelation to himself. a minute before he had no distinct intention about the child. Did you ever hear the like? said Mrs. Kimball in mild surprise to her neighbour Now, ladies, I must trouble you to stand aside, said Mr. Kimball, coming from the card-room in some bitterness at the interruption, but drilled by the long habit of his profession into obedience to unpleasant calls, even when he was hardly sober. "'It's a nasty business turning out now, eh, Kimball?' said the squire. "'He might have gone for your young fellow. The prentice there. What's his name?' "'Might? Aye. What's the use of talking about might?' growled Uncle Kimball, hastening out with Marner, and followed by Mr. Crackenthorpe and Godfrey." Get me a pair of thick boots, Godfrey, will you? And stay. Let somebody run to Winthrop's and fetch Dolly. She's the best woman to get. Ben was here himself before supper. Is he gone? Yes, sir, I met him, said Marner. But I couldn't stop to tell him anything. Only I said I was going for the doctor, and he said the doctor was at the Squires. And I made haste and ran, and there was nobody to be seen at the back of the house, and so I went in to where the company was. The child, no longer distracted by the bright light and the smiling women's faces, began to cry and call for Mammy, though always clinging to Marner, who had apparently won her thorough confidence. Godfrey had come back with the boots, and felt the cry as if some fiber were drawn tight within him. "'I'll go,' he said, hastily, eager for some movement. "'I'll go and fetch the woman, Mrs. Winthrop.' "'Oh, Pooh, send somebody else,' said Uncle Kimball, hurrying away with Marner. "'You'll let me know if I can be of any use, Kimball said Mr. Crackenthorpe. But the doctor was out of hearing. Godfrey, too, had disappeared. He was gone to snatch his hat and coat, having just reflection enough to remember that he must not look like a madman. But he rushed out of the house into the snow without heeding his thin shoes.' In a few minutes he was on his rapid way to the stone pits by the side of Dolly, who, though feeling that she was entirely in her place in encountering cold and snow on an errand of mercy, was much concerned at a young gentleman's getting his feet wet under a like impulse. "'You'd a deal better go back, sir,' said Dolly, with respectful compassion. "'You've no call to catch cold, and I'd ask you if you'd be so good as to tell my husband to come on your way back.' He's at the Rainbow, I doubt. Have you found him anyway sober enough to be a use? Or else there's Mrs. Snell, it happened send the boy up to fetch and carry, for there may be things wanted from the doctors. No, I'll stay, now I'm once out. I'll stay outside here, said Godfrey, when they came opposite Marner's cottage. You can come and tell me if I can do anything. Well, sir, you're very good. You've a tender heart, said Dolly, going to the door. Godfrey was too painfully preoccupied to feel a twinge of self-reproach at this undeserved praise. He walked up and down, unconscious that he was plunging ankle-deep in snow, unconscious of everything but trembling suspense about what was going on in the cottage, and the effect of each alternative on his future lot. No, not quite unconscious of everything else. Deeper down— and half smothered by passionate desire and dread, there was the sense that he ought not to be waiting on these alternatives, that he ought to accept the consequences of his deeds, own the miserable wife, and fulfill the claims of the helpless child. But he had not moral courage enough to contemplate that active renunciation of Nancy as possible for him." he had only conscience and heart enough to make him forever uneasy under the weakness that forbade the renunciation. And at this moment his mind leaped away from all restraint toward the sudden prospect of deliverance from his long bondage. "'Is she dead?' said the voice that predominated over every other within him. "'If she is, I may marry Nancy.' and then I shall be a good fellow in future, and have no secrets, and the child shall be taken care of somehow. But across that vision came the other possibility. She may live, and then it's all up with me. Godfrey never knew how long it was before the door of the cottage opened and Mr. Kimball came out. He went forward to meet his uncle, prepared to suppress the agitation he must feel, whatever news he was to hear. "'I waited for you, as I'd come so far,' he said, speaking first. "Pooh, it was nonsense for you to come out. "'Why didn't you send one of the men? "'There's nothing to be done. "'She's dead. "'Been dead for hours, I should say.' "'What sort of woman is she?' said Godfrey, "'feeling the blood rush to his face. "'A young woman, but emaciated, with long black hair. "'Some vagrant, quite in rags. "'She's got a wedding ring on, however.' "'They must fetch her away to the workhouse to-morrow. "'Come, come along.' "'I want to look at her,' said Godfrey. "'I think I saw such a woman yesterday. "'I'll overtake you in a minute or two.' "'Mr. Kimball went on, and Godfrey turned back to the cottage. "'He cast only one glance at the dead face on the pillow, "'which Dolly had smoothed with decent care. "'But he remembered that last look at his unhappy-hated wife so well— that at the end of sixteen years every line in the worn face was present to him when he told the full story of this night. He turned immediately towards the hearth where Silas Marner sat lulling the child. She was perfectly quiet now, but not asleep, only soothed by sweet porridge and warmth into that wide-gazing calm which makes us older human beings with our inward turmoil feel a certain awe in the presence of a little child, such as we feel before some quiet majesty or beauty in the earth or sky, before a steady glowing planet, or a full-flowered eglantine, or the bending trees over a silent pathway. The wide-open blue eyes looked up at Godfrey's without any uneasiness or sign of recognition. The child could make no visible audible claim on its father— and the father felt a strange mixture of feelings—a conflict of regret and joy—that the pulse of that little heart had no response for the half-jealous yearning in his own, when the blue eyes turned away from him slowly and fixed themselves on the weaver's queer face, which was bent down low to look at them, while the small hand began to pull Marner's withered cheek with loving disfiguration. "'You'll take the child to the parish tomorrow?' asked Godfrey, speaking as indifferently as he could. "'Who says so?' said Marner, sharply. "'Will they make me take her?' "'Why, you wouldn't like to keep her, should you, an old bachelor like you?' "'Till anybody shows they've a right to take her away from me,' said Marner. "'The mother's dead, and I reckon it's got no father. It's a lone thing, and I'm a lone thing. My money's gone, I don't know where,' and this has come from I don't know where. I know nothing. I'm partly mazed. Poor little thing, said Godfrey. Let me give something towards finding it close. He had put his hand in his pocket and found half a guinea, and thrusting it into Silas's hand, he hurried out of the cottage to overtake Mr. Kimball. Ah, I see it's not the same woman I saw, he said as he came up. It's a pretty little child. The old fellow seems to want to keep it. That's strange for a miser like him. But I gave him a trifle to help him out. The parish isn't likely to quarrel with him for the right to keep the child. No, but I've seen the time when I might have quarreled with him for it myself. It's too late now, though. If the child ran into the fire, your aunt's too fat to overtake it. She could only sit and grunt like an alarmed sow." "'But what a fool you are, Godfrey, "'to come out in your dancing shoes and stockings in this way. "'And you, one of the bows of the evening, "'and at your own house. "'What do you mean by such freaks, young fellow? "'Has Miss Nancy been cruel, "'and do you want to spite her by spoiling your pumps?' "'Oh, everything has been disagreeable to-night. "'I was tired to death of jigging and gallanting, "'and that bother about the hornpipes. "'And I'd got to dance with the other Miss Gunn,' said Godfrey." Glad of the subterfuge his uncle had suggested to him. The prevarication and white lies, which a mind that keeps itself ambitiously pure is as uneasy under as a great artist under the false touches that no eye detects but his own, are worn as lightly as mere trimmings when once the actions have become a lie. Godfrey reappeared in the white parlor with dry feet, and, since the truth must be told, with a sense of relief and gladness that was too strong for painful thoughts to struggle with. For could he not venture now, whenever opportunity offered, to say the tenderest things to Nancy Lameter, to promise her and himself that he would always be just what she would desire to see him? There was no danger that his dead wife would be recognized. Those were not days of active inquiry and wide report." and as for the registry of their marriage, that was a long way off, buried in unturned pages, away from anyone's interest but his own. Duncy might betray him if he came back, but Duncy might be one to silence. And when events turn out so much better for a man than he had reason to dread, is it not a proof that his conduct had been less foolish and blameworthy than it might otherwise have appeared?' when we are treated well, we naturally begin to think that we are not altogether unmeritorious, and that it is only just that we should treat ourselves well, and not mar our own good fortune. Where, after all, would be the use of his confessing the past to Nancy Lambeter, and throwing away his happiness, nay, hers, for he felt some confidence that she loved him. As for the child, he would see that it was cared for, he would never forsake it, he would do everything but own it. Perhaps it would be just as happy in life without being owned by its father, seeing that nobody could tell how things would turn out, and that, is there any other reason wanted? Well, then, that the father would be much happier without owning the child."